0: Welcome to What's Working in Washington on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM.
1: Hi, I'm Jonathan Aberman. Coming up on today's show...
0: It's really fascinating to see who we consider celebrities and stars come to D.C. and just be fascinated by us.
2: People here in Washington know that. They know that people coming from Hollywood are enamored with them because of their power, and they love it. They play this little game about being Mr. and Ms. super serious, and I've got a big, important job to do. But then when they're off mic and when they're off camera, they're they're talking about great to see George Clooney and to to hobnob with Angelina. Greater Washington
1: region is known for many things, but one of its dominant industries and one that really makes it go is the media. We're going to talk with three members of the media, experts in different ways. Brian Fanzo is the host of a new podcast, FOMO Fans, on all podcast players. We're going to be talking with Judy Kurz. She is with The Hill and the columnist in the know. And J.J. Green, the national security correspondent at WTOP. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining me. Thanks. Thanks very well, nice. let's introduce ourselves to the audience. I'll start with you, Judy. What, what's your day job? What do you do all day? My
0: day job, I'm the in-the-know columnist for The Hill, which is basically a fancy way of saying I'm the gossip columnist for The Hill. So as soon as I say that word gossip, everyone immediately zips their lips, especially here in Washington. <laughs> um, but I cover nightlife, I cover celebrities, the intersection of Hollywood and, and D.C. and politics.
2: JJ, how about you? The national security correspondent, WTOP Radio and WTOP.com means that I spend Every day, all 24 hours, um, on call, and it is up to me to make sure that the team at the station knows what it means, what the national security news news means. I mean, it's it's not enough to know what's happening; they need to know what it means, and that's my job to make sure one that we know what's happening and then what it means.
3: Brian, how about you? Uh, I'm the founder of a uh, influencer marketing strategy company, I Social Fans and uh, I'm a millennial keynote speaker so I I host two podcasts I create a lot of content and I I speak about 45 to 50 events a year I did uh, 11 countries last year really my job, I'm a cybersecurity background for the Department of Defense that went into cloud computing. I'm a big tech geek uh, that kind of fell in love with the power of digital media to connect uh, worlds. So my job, I like to say, is I translate the geek speak and uh, try to help people understand where, where digital is going today and hopefully set them up for success tomorrow.
1: It's very revealing to me that all three of you have deep connections and nexuses here in D.C., yet completely different. right? Doesn't that say something about the, the nature of our community? I think people realize how diverse and how varied our community is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was born and raised here in Washington. And I think I'm actually one of the few of my uh, friends group who actually stayed in D.C. doing journalism. Um, You know, it's just amazing to see a a lot of people branch out into the international world when you grow up here uh, in D.C. because it's such a international transient town. Um, But yeah, everyone thinks politics when you think of Washington. That's Certainly a big part of it, and I cover that part of it, but um it it certainly leads to many, many other things growing up here.
2: Washington is Hollywood when it comes to news. Mm-hmm. And that's a part of the reason why you have so many people here who do so many different things. And part of the reason why I say it's Washington is Hollywood when it comes to news is because you have the White House here, you have Congress, you have the Pentagon, you have the CIA you have the world financial community you have all you have diplomats from every country recognized country in the world here and you also have vibrant communities that are built around washington so you have all sorts of opportunities for a journalist here and the diversity is just off the charts. People, a lot of people just don't realize it.
3: Well, I think it's kind of yeah. hard to realize it sometimes because I, I actually was here for seven years. My first job out of college was a government contractor, and living in this arena as a government contractor, commuting from you know outside twenty-two miles outside to the Pentagon, and you know taking an hour and a half, I really thought everything was around the government sector when I lived here. I I left, moved to Arizona for seven years, and now I've been back here. 2 years as a digital marketer and for me i my eyes were you know kind of wide open and said so i missed a lot of what was going on here because of kind of the circle, the traffic, you know, like the commute, a lot of that arena. And for me, I think that's exciting. I think it's probably more exciting than I even realized as I was moving from the, you know, from Arizona back to an area that I knew, you know, pretty vibrant as far as what I was doing in the the government sector. But I'm beyond impressed with entrepreneurship and the investment in the tech community and then media across the board. I mean, the access to uh, different brands that I didn't realize was possible uh, is now Opening my eyes to being excited for the region.
1: Well, JJ, you mentioned, and, and Judy as, as well, it, Hollywood, I mean, that really resonates with me. And you think about the correspondence ball and nerd mm-hmm. prom and, and all the rest of it. But outside of this region, I don't really get the sense that the tapestry of this region is really understood when you go around the country. What do you think?
0: Well, mm-hmm. just speaking of Hollywood, I know I cover a lot of celebrities who come to town uh, for various events, but a lot of fundraisers, a lot of different uh, pet causes that they come here for. And when... Hollywood comes to DC it's like DC is their Hollywood as JJ said where they're stargazing with law- lawmakers lawmakers uh politicians the president who the administration these are like their stars for them when they come to town um and they're just in awe they have their jaws on the floor about how the world works you know how politics works um learning how to to go to the Capitol and. Um, and lobby for a certain cause that they're here for. Uh, It's really fascinating to see who we consider celebrities and stars come to D.C. and uh, just be fascinated by us.
2: Yeah, you know, the really funny part about that whole situation, too, is people here in Washington know that. They know that Mm -hmm. people coming from Hollywood are enamored with them because of their power, and they love it. They play this little game about being... Mr. and Ms. super serious and I've got a big important job to do. But then when they're off mic and when they're off camera, they're they're talking about, man, it was great to see George <laughs> Clooney and it's great to, to to hobnob with Angelina. But you know, the reality of the whole deal is that you can't do anything in this country without taking into account what Washington thinks. And the bottom line, that's why these celebrities come here. That's why all of the content makers want to come here. If you look at the number of movies that there are about Washington in the last decade, it just keeps growing. And there's always a television series that's based on Washington. And it's funny, I was watching a movie the other day, um, and um, there was a scene in the movie that it was supposed to be a movie about a guy in Australia who was adopted, I think the movie's called Lion, Mm -hmm. by two people in Australia. And what was really interesting, the airport in the movie was Dulles. (laughs) Dulles Airport. Well, they want to pick a dysfunctional airport? (laughs) I don't know, but the point that I'm making is people just can't get away from Mm -hmm. Washington for a number of different reasons. From my perspective in national security, it's just impossible to do anything without having Washington in the conversation.
3: Well, I think it also has to come in with the kind of the... I'd say the desegregation of the, what you would consider a celebrity, right? We have YouTube celebrities and a lot of, I would say, a new access to this new kind of celebrity, but you don't have that access to what's in Washington, right? Washington almost kind of grows in the, the distance from what traditionally people would be able to find elsewhere. You know, I, I was in Orlando speaking at an event, and the amount of content creators there that have, you know, over 5 million followers on YouTube that are making, you know, their own movie series in that arena – There was a lot of them that were in Orlando that I was kind of blown away by. But outside of Washington, D.C., you don't run into this arena of kind of politicians as well as kind of decision makers. And I'm always amazed kind of how not only does the city kind of give people kind of the the excitement and chills because it is nothing nothing like D.C. anywhere else where you're visiting. But I think there's an element here that says, you know, I get, I'm starting to see more celebrities. You know, my, my next-door neighbor is now very influential. But you don't have that in any uh, uh, city outside of Washington, D.C. Well,
1: isn't it one of the things that gives somebody celebrity here, or gives somebody power here, is a platform they sit upon. And uh, we're in an interesting moment in our history right now. You mentioned celebrity. Judy, uh, I'll start with you since you, you cover celebrity in some ways. But but all of you, how does one signal celebrity in, in this world that we're in now? Title isn't always the best Indicator of somebody's influence now. There
0: uh, there isn't a de- definition for celebrity, it seems, anymore. I remember, um, you know, D.C. wasn't always known for getting A-list talent, shall we say. You know, a couple years ago, I covered an event at the Capitol with Courtney Stodden, who's a reality TV Uh, starlet uh, in a lettuce bikini lobbying Congress uh, on behalf of people for the ethical treatment of animals um, to eat veggie dogs. Uh, So so she was in a lettuce bikini handing out veggie dogs. I mean that, and you can bet there were hordes and hordes of reporters there because there was,
1: everybody loves lettuce.
0: Everybody loves lettuce. That's exactly (laughs) right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But When you get even just a hint of a celebrity in D.C., um, it's like bait and every, you know, the sharks hone in on it. Um, And that has changed a little bit. I think Washington, especially under the Obama administration, became more of a hotspot destination for you know, the high caliber talent, the George Clooney's, the Angelina Jolie's, the Brad Pitt's of the world. Um, now it's kind of going back to that under the Trump administration, because not as many Hollywood stars necessarily want to associate uh, with who's in power at the moment. So anytime any celebrity uh, who has the faintest bit of fame comes to town, uh, we're seeing reporters just show out and enforce to cover them.
1: So something else that strikes me on top of celebrity. J.J. Green, you, I know that you cover very serious speech. There are a few things that's important right now as national security. When you look for somebody to speak author, authoritatively, don't you source them differently now than maybe you
2: did five or ten years ago? Well, it depends on what, what the topic is and what we need to get out of it. The, the idea of news is not enough these days. And somebody that can just sit down and speak eloquently about, okay, this is what's going on is no longer enough. You need to have details about what it means and how it impacts people. And it's really interesting how some people who may be in the best position, in possession of the knowledge and in possession of the classified information, aren't always the best people to, to discuss how this impacts people. What I do is I go first to find some context for what the story is and then choose the best individual or individuals uh, that can essentially lay out how this impacts the audience. From a national security perspective, there's no way to do that simply because national security used to be something that people that sat behind this big wooden desk at the White House did for us. But now, because of this, and I'm holding up a smartphone, national security is here in your hand. You can now be attacked directly by someone through your smart device. And in the past, that used to be dealt with and handled by those people sitting behind that desk in the national at the National Security Council. So now you need different voices, you need different understanding of national security, and you need people that can ex- essentially speak to different audiences.
3: And I think that that's part of the, you know, I'm in my my first books coming out this fall, and and what I've been really focusing on, really, there's three types of influencers. You have a celebrity, a subject matter expert, and a thought leader. And depending on what you need, I I mean, I, I love the way you broke that down. You actually started with Success and context and work backwards where the old way of influence. I think we worked the other direction And I'm excited to see where that goes because I think it's gonna actually change who we think of as an influencer Versus who we think of as just because we don't have access to them because they sit on a different platform
1: We're gonna have to take a little break. We'll be right back and when we come back I want to turn our attention to the media does the media still matter radio podcast video We're gonna talk about that when we come back A special thanks to our sponsor Eagle Bank. How do you get to be number one in the DC area? Eagle Bank did it by putting relationships first. They're flexible, involved, responsive, strong and trusted. Eagle Bank's goal is your success. we're back in what's working in washington special talking about dc its media and how it's changing as a region here with brian fanzo he is a change evangelist millennial speaker and ceo of social fans judy kurz who's with the hill and the columnist for in the know and jj green wtop's national security correspondent before the break i teased out that uh, we were going to go and talk a little bit about the media uh podcast video radio how does it all fit together jj you're uh leading voice here in the D.C. region. I listen to you as I drive in my car. What's with radio these days? Is it still
2: relevant? Yeah, and I'll tell you why. Seven years ago, maybe eight now, the spokesperson for a top member of the president's cabinet, security related, told me when I asked him for an interview with this individual, he said, hey, look, bro, you and your radio station are not a good use of our senior leader's time. And I said, oh, really? We have two million listeners that is in four states and the District of Columbia. And included amongst those listeners are people who are diplomats, people who essentially drive you around every day, Secret Service, people in the White House and all of the pertinent communities, you know, the intelligence community defense. And you don't think we're worth your time even if these folks listen? He said, no. I said, why is that? He said, well, that's because uh, we believe that uh, the, the wave of the future is 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 television. And if we want to get our message out, then we can do it on the Sunday shows or we can do it in one of the big newspapers. And I said, do you know how many of the big newspapers I find on the floor in the plastic when I get to work each day? And do you know how many viewers the big news networks have in comparison to what we have compared to them. No, but it doesn't matter, he said. It's all because this is what we've chosen and this is what we want to do. And uh, later, he uh, left that job along with several other people that he had recruited to push that message. And it was really interesting. I got an email from him asking me, because he's a national security professional, if I would consider interviewing him. And I... We pointed him back to that conversation that we had had. I said, do you remember this conversation? He said, yeah. I said, well, what changed, bro? <laughs> he said, um, well, um, I understand what you're saying then. I said, well, that's good. Unfortunately for me, you made my life very difficult for a number of years because you didn't understand it then. But I'm glad at least you understand it now. The radio not going anywhere. It's here to stay. You can bring on whatever you want to bring but it's not going anyplace. It's a part of the family. Podcasts, TV, newspapers, radio, anything else, social media, radio is here. And folks, I think, sort of get that now.
3: Well, I think, and I think it's a, you know this is an interesting piece I I work with a lot of brands on how they can get in touch with millennial and Gen Z consumers, right? Those born on a device, even younger than myself. I'm a millennial, but I, I say I'm a pager wearing millennial, which means I'm 36. So I had a pager at one time. But you know, when I when I think of that idea of radio, I think part of what we're seeing now is that it's I, I like to say the field of dreams. Uh, content creation is is broken. It used to be you build it and they come. And now you have to create content and bring it to where your audience is. And I think because of that, radio is something that is a very interesting conversation because TV became, we went from the world where I grew up, where my incentive for being good in high school was I get to stay up late and watch 90210 on Wednesday night. (laughs) Where kids today, it's like, I'm mad that Game of Thrones is, is spaced out over, you know, years and months. I want, you know, I want House of Cards. I get all my content when I want it, where I want it, how I want it. And so this is an interesting separation between i would say the younger generation now and then where you see things are going and i think the younger generation is going to start to gravitate to things that are kind of that not only have that traditional nostalgia element but also allow them to have some raw real conversations because there's a lot of i'd say disconnect in a lot of the digital that we see today because we've spent the last seven to nine years using automation websites everything to distance ourselves from the people that we actually are consuming with. The question I have for radio that I, I still struggle with is it's still, in from an advertising perspective, a monetization, it, you know, the billboard kind of project what a billboard is for an advertiser compared to a digital display or even a 30-second roll ad inside of a podcast. The tangible data to understand path to consumer, what people click on links, is a much easier tangible element inside of this digital space than what we've been able to really map in the radio area. So it's an interesting thing to see where digital ads kind of influence data? Because we use, you know, a lot of the brands that we work with, repeat viewership or repeat uh, user is a massive stat that people want someone playing back over and over. And how do you track that in a world that everyone's listening on different media? So
1: you mentioned marketing. Uh, Judy, um, I'll start with you. How do you balance what's good content against necessarily what might get page views or listeners? If you're If you're a journalist, and I know you all are, how how do you balance that? That's a tough one.
0: It is a tough one and one that many news organizations have yet to <laughs> uh, <laughs> fully uh, come to terms with. For me, I mean, this is uh, um, going to sound like a, a cheating answer, but for me, I um, have my own column. So I determine what goes in my column. And if it interests mm-hmm. me, um, I think it'll interest my readers. And But that's kind of a, an easy way out. Uh, news organizations, I think there's, you know, despite having internet now for how many years i don't know um they're still a little slow to kind of have any sort of path to what's newsworthy um and what is going to get clicks and i think a lot of outlets struggle with this um and balancing um the news value of something versus um just getting eyeballs on your stories i don't know if there's a clear answer for it yet i i think that it's one of those questions that is going to keep coming up um, as long as news organizations are still trying to uh, make the rules
3: well, you know, and your audience is who determines what's good, right? I think that's a there's an odd space where we thought as a creator or the broadcaster that we we decide what was good. You know, we create a viral video that nobody watches. It's not a viral video. It's, <laughs> it's, it's just a video. Yeah, it's a video that you thought was good that didn't resonate with your audience. Your audience didn't ter- didn't determine that that was good content, right? I think you know I use this quote all the time. You know, Henry Ford always said if he asked his audience what they want, they would have said faster horses, not cars. I think in this new digital landscape, you ask your audience what they're going to want. They're going to tell you everything. Every single aspect. They're not afraid to share their opinion. And with that kind of idea, I think when we start looking at the future of media, the reason influencer marketing has taken off and the reason we start seeing, I would say, uh, these pockets of, of niche influencers is because People trust people they can relate to, and that they, those people can relate to them, which is an exciting piece because that's why your column does a great job compared to someone not having a relationship with a bigger brand or the logo that exists above it.
1: JJ, you, you have a podcast uh, yeah. Target USA. You're yeah. on the are they different in how you approach them with these questions that you know that Brian just mentioned?
2: Yeah. So first, I'll say that one of the things that we're we're looking at when you talk about the plethora of media and platforms is what's real and what's not. And you're talking about people who want somebody to identify with and they can trust, a Walter Cronkite or whomever, you know, a Jane Pauley, you know, Katie Couric, whoever, somebody that they can trust. And that's really at the heart of what it is that we do in news today. And that is um, provide veracity for people, uh, conf- confidence in that individual or individuals or in that organization. And the real key thing, at, at, at the heart of this whole discussion is that news is not what people are talking about. News is what people don't know. And it's our job as journalists, as the surrogates for people, regardless of what part of the news world you're working in, is to tell them about what they don't know about. Now, all of this other stuff that people just want to play with and want to engage with, want to have at their disposal, is fine. But I'm just saying they do look at us as journalists to tell them what they don't know.
3: Well, that's, and that's yeah. an interesting piece just in like, so there's a stat that, you know, 65% of millennials trust their YouTube people that they're subscribed to more than their friends and family when it comes to making a purchasing decision. Yeah. And that's an interesting you know separation because I remember growing up, I didn't, I wouldn't have said I trusted somebody I watched on TV or someone I listened to other than when you said Walter Concrete, you have like the resume, right? And these aren't, resume driven relationships in this YouTube relationship it's rapport it's consistency it's authenticity it's the ability to you know I I like to say you know say I don't know and not be afraid to say I don't know and I think that is exciting I think that's where we move this new idea of we trust people that can relate with us but we also trust people that aren't afraid to be authentic and I do think radio does a good job of that
2: but I don't think that's new though I mean, no. I just think it's yeah. coming
3: back full circle more. Yeah, so than probably- yeah.
2: I was going to say when I first got into news, there was a guy. His name was Dick McCoy. He was sixty-five years old, and I think I was probably twenty-two. And he said, "Young man, there are no new jokes, just new audiences." And a lot of what we're seeing now has taken place before. It's like people covering songs. You hear a lot of cover songs all the time now. But to answer your question about how this works with the podcast, we have about a half million downloaders. For the Target USA podcast, is pretty popular, uh, and we focus on engaging people in information that they aren't aware of, and at least providing some context to them for them to those stories, uh, and allowing them to tell us what it is they're interested in. Um, but of course, of course, it's a niche audience, and you know the people there are, you know mostly hardcore national security people. But it is a c- scenario whereby we have young people, older people, people in the middle that are all interested in what it is that, that we're talking about because they expect they come there with the expectation of learning something that they don't know.
1: This has been an amazing conversation and I wish I could extend it for another half hour, but I didn't buy the time. So <laughs> before I let you all go, uh, Judy and, and Brian, you're going to be appearing at an event uh, sometime this week in Fairfax, aren't you?
3: Yes, Social Media Week Fairfax. So I'll be uh, opening keynote as well as uh, moderating the uh, podcast panel. I'll be talking about uh, the millennial mindset, how to reach those uh, the digital natives and and keep active with the digital dinosaurs.
1: Well, I want to thank all of you for the time. It was really, really a pleasure to have in the studio. Judy Kurz, it's great to have an opportunity to get to know you. I'll be following in the know very closely now. Hopefully I'll never be in it, but i will a good thing. J.J. Green, National Security correspondent, Top And- USA. It was great to meet you in person, to have you on the show, and, and Brian Fanzo, I, you know, I'm going to subscribe to your podcast right away, and I look forward to meeting with all of you again sometime soon. Thanks for joining us. Thank
2: you. Okay, thank you.
1: You've been listening to a What's Working in Washington Extra. Extras are shows where I and our producer, Tracy Madigan, find a story or an issue that, well, it's something that makes more sense to take the time to really dig into. Because you know, DC is not just about people that are getting things done. DC is also about big trends and big changes and opportunities for us to be in the middle of something important and something special. And often we miss that because we're so busy living the day to day. So hopefully this what's working in Washington Extra and others to come will help you get a little more depth into something that's going on around you that demonstrates why DC is a great place to be and a great place to have a career. A special thanks to our sponsor, Eagle Bank. How do you get to be number one in the D.C. area? Eagle Bank did it by putting relationships first. They're flexible, involved, responsive, strong, and trusted. Eagle Bank's goal is your success. Our online writer is Barbara Ulrich. Music provided by two D.C. region bands, two-car living room, and the sunbathers. And a huge thank you to our sponsor, Eagle Bank. Please get in touch with us for sponsorship opportunities. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, and please rate the podcast. This helps us spread the word about the interesting stories we're telling on What's Working in Washington. And let us know who you think we should be talking to on this show. Tweet us at @What'sWorkingDC. What's Working DC. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening.
0: You've been listening to What's Working in Washington. Download this show or any of our weekly programs at federalnewsradio.com. What's Working in Washington, Monday afternoons at 2.30 on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m.